The following audio is a recording from Holy Cross Church in Tucson, Arizona. So we're going to read in chapter 5, starting in verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for they are opposed to each other, to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus having, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. Would you pray with me? God, we look at this passage, and there's probably a lot going on in our hearts and minds as we read through this. Maybe some shame, some guilt, some introspection where we feel a little like we're about to withdraw from what is about to be said because in a way it holds a mirror up to our hearts and shows us what we're really like and then we see this beautiful picture of what you are and the work that you do in us and it's something that we long for and that we want and yet we seem to be in this tension where we have one foot in our sinful desires and one foot trying to pursue you. And we want to go from here by faith. And would you do a work in us this morning for all of us, wherever we are on this journey of faith with you. Meet us where we are. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, this passage might be familiar to you. It's probably one of the most familiar or famous passages in all the book of Galatians. I mean, it's... Right up there with 1 Corinthians 13, love is patient, love is kind, love does not envy or boast. You probably have heard this passage in Galatians 5 before, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And if we only read Galatians 5, 22 through 23, that passage of the, the fruit of the Spirit, we, and miss out on the surrounding verses, we really miss what we need to talk about in this passage. Here is what needs to be said, that Christians, those who trust in Christ, those who have received Christ and look to Him by faith and, and see themselves as forgiven people before God because what Jesus has done, we are called and should love God, love others. We should have an abiding joy in us. We should be patient when afflicted. We should experience a deep and resting peace in our life. We should express kindness towards others, gentle when we are offended, we should be self-controlled when we're tempted. But here's the truth. We aren't all the time. 
we are, are not those things. And yet, even if we, find, if we call ourselves a Christian, we still find ourselves identifying with the fruit of the flesh and struggling in the fruit of the Spirit. The honest truth is this, that all of us, even after having believed in Christ to receive His forgiveness, fail to live up to the confession that we even believe. And we're often tempted to give in to these temptations, even though the Bible says that by faith in Christ, the flesh has been crucified, that we have put to death sin in our life. And so here is where we meet the passage. And I think all of us, to some extent, come here. And especially if you are a Christian, we find ourselves here. Okay, I know the person that God desires for me to be, but I know I'm not that person entirely. And here is that, that's the honest truth. We need to admit that with one another. We need to admit that, okay, this, this is the manifestation of God in my life will produce these kinds of characteristics in me. I want that. I confess that. I believe that. And yet I really fall short. Can I talk about that? And I want you to feel the permission, to be given the permission to know that you are not alone if you feel that way. I share in that as well, and Paul is, is writing to these Christians because they share in it as well. This passage is ultimately about how we increasingly, increasingly live by the Spirit, so that the work of Christ and His life in us is lived out in our life. And so Paul talks about these two natures. He says there are two natures, as the Bible calls it, at work in the life of every Christian. There is the spirit at work in the life of the Christian, and there is the sinful nature, or he calls the flesh. And in any given situation, we are living by one and not gratifying the other. And so we're either living by the flesh and not gratifying the spirit, or we are living by the spirit and not gratifying the flesh. There is never a marriage of the two where we are both living by the Spirit and indulging in the flesh. It's one or the other. And what we learn right, about, what we learn right away about this is that, well, this is describing a battle. It's describing a struggle in the life of every Christian. A desire to be the person God wants us to be and our failure in trying to pursue that and realizing that we are falling short over and over and over again. And we have questions like, why does this keep happening? Why, if I'm trusting in Christ, do I continue to be in this struggle that I've been in my whole life? Our sinful nature and the Spirit both have very strong desires. And the Spirit's desire is that we would be increasingly transformed into the image of Christ. And ultimately, Paul says, this is what every Christian really wants. Every Christian really wants to be transformed more and more into the image of Christ. And our sinful nature desires to keep us from that ever happening. The love of God. We desire to love God. And I want you to be encouraged because if you are a Christian and you have found yourself falling into these patterns of sin in your life, you can say, as a Christian, when you are struggling, this is not who I really am. This is not what I really want. I want God and His will. It's encouraging that you can say that to yourself so that we don't get into this pattern of when we do struggle, when we do fail, well, maybe I'm now not, maybe I don't belong to God anymore. Maybe now I'm, I'm not His child. Maybe now I'm not His son or daughter. Maybe now his, the, that final judgment's going to fall and He's going to cast me from His presence. But here, we, we, there's a, there's a an answer that's given to why does a Christian still struggle with sin? 
Because there is a sin nature. There is the flesh that is, wage, uh, that is raging war, that it is battling within us. There's this book that's been come, become very popular in our home. It's called um, the, uh, the Hungry Caterpillar. I don't know if you're familiar with it. So basically, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, this, this caterpillar just eats all day. And increasingly eats and eats and eats. And then finally, he eats a leaf on the last day, and he's, he's just really fat. He's really engorged. And so he makes a cocoon. He goes in there for over two weeks. And then the final pages, he comes out of his cocoon. And the last pages, he's a butterfly. Okay? Brilliant. Why didn't I think of this book? I mean, this is just like people are, there's a millionaire sitting down saying suckers. Like, I, this is just so easy. Now, this should really, really knock our socks off. I mean, this, this should really, we shouldn't be so content with, with seeing a caterpillar come to life and turning into a butterfly and be content with that happening in our world. This is ridiculous. And I don't think we realize how ridiculous it is. Okay, I'm, I think I'm missing you guys. Do you realize how ridiculous this is that a caterpillar, a worm, will eat a lot, will go into this bubble, and come out an entirely different animal altogether? See, this doesn't bother you? I mean, this bothers me. I mean, this... Why do we look at this and say... Of course, this is, this is the way things work. This is not the way things work. We have to question everything in all of our existence. If this is happening, okay. This transformation is so profound, so amazing. And I wonder, does this caterpillar have any idea what it's about to become? Does this caterpillar, as it's eating dirt and crawling on the ground... Think about what it'll be like to fly. Does this caterpillar have any clue of the transformation that is about to begin in, 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 in his or her life? What is the final, what is the thing that goes through the mind? I, I have no idea. Maybe nothing happens at all when that, butterf- that butterfly takes its first flight. Is it just another day? I mean, it just... See, this is the transformation of the Spirit in our life. This is what God wants to accomplish in us. That the Spirit accomplishes in us something so powerful that I'm not really sure that any of us truly understand what that means. I don't think we truly understand what God has for us in the transformation of the Spirit in our life. Because if we did... Are you following me? Okay. If we did, this, some, everything in our life would be different. We would anticipate this. We would enter into this battle in anticipation and eager joy of wanting this transformation to be increasingly manifested in our life. Do we have any idea what waits for us daily and weekly and yearly for what God has planned for us in the Spirit. Do we have any idea what He has planned for us, that if we would live by the Spirit, and walk by the Spirit, and sow unto the Spirit, and deny the sinful nature in our life, do we have any idea what would be born out of that? I think we have some idea, but I don't think we grasp it completely. And that's what Paul wants for us. He is so convinced, he is so cut to the heart, he wants us to understand that this, the work of the Spirit is such a magnificent transformation. 
So run to this. Pursue this. Apply this in your life increasingly. Now, this is encouraging for us because you may see that your sinful nature is very strong in your life. You may see a pattern of temptation and sin and falling into sin in your life, and it's very real. And you know what I'm talking about. You're thinking about it right now. And there's shame, there's guilt. You know, I know I shouldn't be doing this. I keep on doing it. It's really tough. It, the encouraging thing is the, the, the power of the Spirit in you is more powerful than the power of the flesh. The Spirit is dedicated to manifesting the image and nature and work of Christ in your life for the glory of God and for our enjoyment. And the Spirit is more powerful than the flesh. And it's also very challenging to us. So we're encouraged because that we see, okay, these are at war with one another. I keep doing what I don't want to do. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the spirit is more powerful. But we need to look at this and be challenged. We should ask, all of, our, all of us should ask ourselves, if I am a Christian, if the spirit is in me and I trust in Christ, is fruit growing? Is there evidence of the spirit's work in my life? Are these present in my life with increasing measure? We need to ask ourselves that. Even as we receive the grace of God and live by faith, not by works, we should still ask ourselves, is there fruit? We are saved by faith, not by fruit. And I want you to hear this. We are saved by faith, not by fruit, but saving faith will always produce fruit. Here's an analogy that I came across from uh, a pastor that I was reading about. And he shares this story. He says, if, here's an analogy. Here's an anecdote. If I told you that an, I had this special encounter with God and where he entered my body and gave me a supernatural ability to play basketball, wouldn't you expect that from that day forward you would see an amazing improvement in my jump shot, an amazing improvement in my, in my three-pointer, in my speed, in my agility, And this is what Christians claim, that we have this encounter with God where the presence of God, the the Holy Spirit, enters into our life, gives us power, transforms us, and makes us a new creation, giving us a spiritual ability, a supernatural ability, to resist sin and become more and more like Jesus. And Jesus reminds us in John 15 that we, in order to bear fruit, in order to do this, that we must abide in Him. He says this in, in John 15, chapter Uh, Chapter 15, verse 5, I am the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. We abide in Christ by keeping in step with the Spirit. And verse 24 in our passage describes that in this process is the crucifixion of the flesh. Go back to verse 24, if you could. Um, He says, and those who belong to Christ, Jesus, have crucified the flesh, flesh with its passions and desires it means that by faith we regularly say no to our sinful desire crucifying the flesh means that we habitually say no to our sinful desire and especially when we see temptation approaching in our life and we regularly regularly repent of that sin that we find in our life And we trust in God and His power to overcome that. And when we do this, we bear fruit. When we do this, the the Spirit and the gift of the Spirit, the fruit of the Spirit is manifested in our life. 
It is expressed. The glory of God overflows and is ex- expressed in our life in the way of these fruits. And Jesus, Jesus promises that when we do this, when we look to him and his power and his work in our life, that we will bear fruit. Listen, look at this, that spiritual fruit is an issue of the heart. Spiritual fruit rests in the heart. You know, much of what we are talking about in this process is a lot like head knowledge. We're thinking about head knowledge. It's, it's like, well, this is about choosing to do one thing and, and not choosing another But real, spirit-empowered growth is a heart issue. The work of the Spirit is not about personality traits. It's not about temperaments. It's not about doing a good thing and being a better person. We need to get to this root of it. We need to get to this heart. The distinguishing work of of the Spirit is about this real heart change. And real spiritual growth is only possible through this grace-changed heart. Here's an example that, that I've also been thinking about that has been very helpful in understanding how I look at the work of the Spirit in my life and what it looks like for us. Suppose you go up to a tree, this little tree, and it's dead, the branches are dead, and you decide that you're going to get some fruit, and you're just going to hang fruit on these dead branches. You're going to get some ornament clips, you're going to get some twisty ties, and you put the fruit on there. And just because of putting fruit on this dead tree, it does not make the tree alive. The apples don't give life. The fruit does not give life. But the fruit is a sign that we are alive. A spirit-empowered life will always produce fruit, and this fruit will grow. It will grow together. So spiritual fruit is always an issue of the heart. And what's interesting here is Paul says that this is the fruit of the Spirit. It's not the fruits of the Spirit. And I think a lot of times when we look at this passage, we look at the fruit of the Spirit, the fruits of the Spirit. We break it up and we say, you know, I'm doing really good in these fruits, but then these fruits I'm not doing really good in. And so we look at this list and say, I'm kind, but I'm not self-controlled. I'm gentle, but I'm... I'm, I'm, I'm not kind. I'm not good. I, and then we start to pick it up and say, well, these are the ones that I'm good at. But when we see it like this, when we see fruit in our life, we, we see these qualities in our life, but we don't see all of them, then it's a good indication that that characteristic is not from the Spirit, but it's from just our natural ability. Because the fruit of the Spirit is singular. And if the, and the Spirit is working in our life and filling our life, then all of these will be manifested. Every single one, without impartiality. So we can be kind and not be a Christian. We can be good and not be a Christian. We can be self-controlled and yet know nothing about God. But this is relying on our natural ability and not on the, fruit of the, not on the work of the Spirit. 
So real spiritual change, real spiritual growth, real fruit of the Spirit happens on a deep level in the heart. So we see that spiritual fruit is, is rooted in the heart. Let's look at a couple other things that, it's root, that it is. Here is, it's helpful to see how the Spirit works in us and transforms us into Christ. It's rooted in the heart, but Christian growth is gradual. Christian growth is gradual. Now you may be looking at this list and you say, wow, I really need to go fruit shopping. They have a sale on that. Can I go to the grocery store and just, can I, can I pick up some new things? Can I change my life in a couple areas? I need, I, need, I need to turn over some leaves. I need to make some changes. I need to get better at half of these, at least two-thirds of these. I just need to be self-controlled and there, then I'll fix it. If I'm self-controlled, then I'll have completed my grocery list. And it's good for us to know that real transformation doesn't happen in a 30-minute period of you hearing from me teach from God's Word. It doesn't happen in an hour on Sunday morning. It doesn't happen once a week. It doesn't happen two or three times a month. Real transformation is through the work of the Spirit as we yield to Him. It is a dedicated, it's a lifelong process. It is a gradual change. We should be led by the Spirit even when the flesh doesn't like it. And every day we are Having these, we're having this commitment on our mind and on our heart of choosing to walk in the Spirit even when our flesh hates that and is fighting against us. Think of a time when you struggle. Think of, of, of a temptation that is just there in your life all the time. This is something that God has used in your life. It's always there. It's always present. You, you, have, you haven't been able to really kick it. What kind of situations do you think about? In what situations do you feel and act in a way that your flesh and the desires of your, your sinful nature are kind of taking over your life? What makes you angry? What makes you impatient? What makes you kind of pop your lid in anger? What makes you covet? Think of the times when you're jealous or, or envious or lusting or struggling with something. God cares about that struggle. God cares so much about that that he doesn't look at our struggles from a distance, but he rolls up his sleeves, he enters into our life, he becomes like us, he lives under the same rules that we have lived under, and he dies for us so that the Spirit could come and indwell us by faith and overcome and put to death once and for all this sin nature. But this process is gradual. It doesn't happen tomorrow. And you might be thinking, I need to do this. I need to manifest the fruit of the Spirit. So, you know, I'm finally going to commit to it. I'm gonna, tomorrow I'm going to do things differently. And then you're just going to fail again. See, this doesn't happen overnight. There are some things that there's a mentality and, a, and a, maybe an attitude and, and, and some things that do change immediately and things that we can put in place. But this is a lifelong process. Are you okay with that? Are you okay with your growth in becoming more like Jesus taking your entire life? Or are you looking for something, you know, let's just get this done with. I remember early on in my faith when I, just shortly after when I became a Christian at the U of A campus, I remember walking around alone one time at night. Because when I became a Christian, I lost all my friends. And so I'm just walking alone. <clears throat> and, and I said, God, I got an idea. Everything you want to do, all the plans, all the, all the pain, all the joy, all the reward, everything that you want to do in me, here's an idea. 
let's, let's put it all together in a package, and let's just get it over with. Let's just do it all right now. And I actually reasoned through this. I thought, now I know that with all, if he gives me all of the joy at once, he'll probably give me all the suffering at once. And I thought, it's probably worth it. Let's do it. Let's just get it over with right now. I'm glad that God did not answer that prayer. And he doesn't answer that prayer for any of us. Because this process is, is gradual. The way that he grows this fruit, the way that he transforms us into Christ is gradual. And we need to trust him. As we say, I trust you, I'm looking to you in faith, that we, then we also trust in his timing. And that means every day we wake up and we say, I'm going to pursue you, I'm going to walk with you. I'm going to not just put all this aside to Sunday morning where I can learn about you, but I'm going to engage in this battle, knowing that you have already secured victory. And walking in the Spirit is not this passive process. It's a daily discipline. I mean, look at the language. Look at the verbs that are used in this passage. Walk by the Spirit. Be led by the Spirit. Keep in step with the Spirit. Sow unto the Spirit. I mean, these are verbs of active participation. It's not passive. You say, God, I, I believed in you. I've trusted in you. Thank you for dying for me. So just bring on the life. Bring on the change. Bring on the victory over my temptation. It doesn't happen like that. A lifetime process is, of faith is, reminds us this is a commitment to this daily change. Every time we go to bed, every single day we have reminders that we need to be a part in this daily process, that we need to nurture this growth in us. Every time we go to sleep at night, we're reminded that we are not God and we need to be recharged. Every time we eat a meal, we're reminded that we need to grow continually and be nurtured for energy continually. And a life of faith is worked out in daily opportunities. To walk in the Spirit means that on you know, Monday morning and noon on Wednesday and Friday evening that we are holding our thoughts captive and deciding to engage actively in this process of the Spirit sanctifying us and making us more and more like Jesus. And it doesn't happen all at once, but it does happen. The Spirit is a living person. The Spirit is God. A living person that magnifies the work of Jesus in us. And so even though it is gradual, the hope is this, and the promise is this. It's gradual, but it's also inevitable. In the life of a Christian, it will happen. And this is another point, that growth of spiritual fruit is inevitable. If the Spirit is in a person's life, fruit will grow. The Christian life isn't as complicated as we make it. We look at the Christian life and we say, look at all that there is. Look at all that I have to do. Look at, all, look at how complicated it is. And it's really not that complicated. Christ, he boils it down to two things. He says, all of the law of God and all of the prophets, it's summed up in one thing. Love God and love others. Everything else is simply a fleshing out of this love that it implies. The Spirit gives power and desires, and desires for us to love God and others. And the flesh desires and has the power to oppose love of God and love for others. I think it's good. We can, let's just take a minute or two and walk through these, the list of the fruit of the Spirit. It's good to focus on this. And so I just want to put that up on the screen so you can see this list. Now we can just walk through real quickly 
kind of a one-sentence description of each one. Look at love. This is the greatest and the first fruit uh, that is listed here. And some would say it's it's a summation of all the fruit of the Spirit. It's this greatest feature of the kingdom of God, and it is a mark, a true mark of a true believer in Christ, that there is love for God and others. Look at joy. This is what the Spirit is like. This is a delight in God for who He is and what He has done. That we have joy, that we just delight in who He is. Peace, this is confidence and soul rest in the wisdom and plans of God rather than our own. This peace in knowing that I am trusting in the wisdom and plan of God, even when my circumstances are just rattling my life. Patience, the ability to face trouble without blowing our top, without freaking out. Kindness, this is the ability to practically serve others without motivations of envy or covetousness. Covetousness. <laughs> Jealousy. The ability to be kind to others. Selfless. Serving them practically. Saying, I don't need anything in return. Goodness. This is when we have varying circumstances that we are the same person in each circumstance. That we're not hypocritical or phony. That we don't put on a face when things change, that we are who we are, that we walk into that. This is the work of the Spirit in us, the, giving us the ability to do that. Faithfulness, to be relied on, to be true to our word. Gentleness, person that is not puffed up but is humble and mild. Self-control, the ability to prioritize what is important over the urgent. The ability to resist impulsive and destructive desires this is the work of the spirit in us we have a, a neighbor and that we have become we love we love and they moved in right about the same time we did we were one of the first in this new neighborhood in Gladden farms and it's where you know every yard was just empty we had to landscape everything we brought in rock we brought in trees and and you know, up in, up in this community, all the yards are marked off by basically, you know, cinder blocks, okay? It's just beautiful suburb, Arizona. Cinder blocks, six feet tall. And they planted their trees uh, way too close to the wall. You know, there's a rule, you plant them. They said, you know, the HOA says four feet from the wall, and everybody says four feet, whatever. And they put it right by the wall. And that was fine eight years ago. And now we're starting to see that this wall is cracking. And there's actually in several places now just a cracking down the wall. And we know it's because the roots of this tree have really come up underneath this wall and is breaking the wall. And, and I thought through, I, I wanted to avoid ever, you know, having to approach them, having to talk to them about this because, you know, you don't want anything to kind of disrupt the friendship that you have. You want to be a good neighbor. You don't want to be that, that neighbor. Um, and so I, I put it off and didn't want to talk about it. And I thought maybe I could just go get some some patch, uh, you know, cement at Home Depot, and I can just patch in the cracks of this wall. And then in my time of thinking of that, a new crack would emerge, and I thought, I have to approach it. I have to talk to them, because that's not going to fix it. And so in the most polite way, I, you know, I, I didn't want to be rude, and so I went over and I said, you know, like, I'd love to talk to you about that wall. You know, I would hate for that wall to fall over and, you know, fall on my son. You know, something like... 
something that would just seal the deal right away, you know. I'd hate for this to come back and bite you, you know. Um, and so they, they fix it like two days later. And um, our problems are, are always, always at the root. They are always at the heart. They are always far deeper than where we think that they are. And you know what we want to do and what we like to do and what is usually convenient for us to do is we look at our lack of fruit and we say, what can I do to be more self-controlled? And so we go get some patchwork, meaning we, we, we start to change some things in our life. We adjust our schedule. We remove someone from our life so that we're not tempted. We, uh, we, we, we get new friends. We lose some other friends. We get a new job. We, we abandon these situations that are tempting us, and we say, there, I fixed it. And then still, these, these sinful natures come up in our new environment, and we say, what is going on? I thought I dealt with this. And we're only patching it, and we're not getting to the root. And what they had to do was an entire day, they had to bring in this crew that ripped out these roots from the ground. And you can really tell how far these roots go. You don't know. When you look at the surface, you say, oh, it's bearing fruit. It's a healthy tree. And they pulled out the root. And on their yard, there was no roots. I mean, maybe six inches of roots. And then in our yard, there was a six-foot root coming over into our yard, seeking water. Because it was seeking opportunity to live. And that's what our flesh does. And if we provide opportunity, it will always seek opportunity. It will always seek a way to overcome the work of God in us. And the only way to destroy this is to get to the root and to cut it out. And the root is always our heart. It is never our behavior. A relationship with God is never about behavior modification. It is primarily about our hearts and the transformation of our heart and identity to be more and more like Jesus. And Jesus says, when that happens, when you are, when you abide in me, when you walk in the Spirit, when you are led by the Spirit, the behavior will take care of itself. You will bear fruit. And so what's interesting is we are never commanded in this passage or in the John 15 passage, we're never commanded to bear fruit. Isn't that interesting? We're never told, you must bear fruit. But we're commanded to abide in Jesus, and then he says, if you do this, you will bear fruit. It's a symptom, not a cause. Our problems are always heart issues, not merely circumstances. And so here... Let's wrap it up. How do we do this? How do we walk? Just real quick, some basic stuff that we can apply to our life today and going forward. How do we walk by the Spirit? The first is remember that you belong to Christ. And this is where Paul wants to point us. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And in verse 25, if we live by the Spirit, let us also walk by the Spirit. Knowing this first step of how do we do this? How do we walk by the Spirit? Knowing that everything that Christ has, all that is His is ours by faith. Our approval before God is not based on our character, but on His. Not based on our faithfulness, but on His. And because of this, we are free to acknowledge our struggle before God and not be condemned. 
We are free to enter into this and say, God, I want to love you, but I know that I don't the way that I should. I struggle with the fruit of the Spirit. It gives us this ability to say, I do not manifest the fruit of the Spirit. I do not rely on the Spirit. I am not sowing unto the Spirit. And it also gives us the more reason to trust in Christ. So when we are reminded of all that Christ has done for us, and we look and acknowledge all of our weakness in our own life, it motivates us to say, okay, I'm going to trust in Christ. It gives us all the more reason to rest in Him, to pursue Him, to trust in Him. God is bigger than your sin. He's bigger than your sinful desire within you. And He does not address our sin from a distance, but He comes in and fills our lives. He initiates with us. He lives among us to transform us into His image. The next thing is to confess and repent often. You know, whenever we have neglected to walk in step with the Spirit, to be led by the Spirit, and ask for His continued work in our life, whenever we neglect to do that, we, of course, are going to see a manifestation of sin in our life and a lack of fruit in our life. And wherever sin is present, it is also present there that we are not trusting God. We cannot do both at the same time. He describes this as, in another passage, like salt water and fresh water. That they, they don't exist together. It's either salt water or it's fresh water. And once they mix, it is something entirely different. And we should see our, our faith like that, our walk with God like that. So looking at confession and looking at repentance, what does this look like? You know, confession is, is not just only acknowledging where we went, went wrong. It is that, but it's also affirming what is right. You know, we've used confession in a, different, a couple different contexts. Confessing our sins and basically saying, God, I am sorry, I acknowledge what I have done. I am sorry for this. You, uh, you are God, you've asked me not to do this, and I have uh, disobeyed you, and so I admit that. But we also use confession in a term of confessing our faith, telling God and others what we believe. And so being in the pattern of confessing our faith helps us to walk with the Spirit. And this is preaching to ourselves. It's reminding us we don't want to do this. This won't bring us life. This sinful nature is not going to reward me. This will not be good. This isn't ultimately what I want. This will destroy me and this will dishonor God. And so we admit that to ourselves, that I don't want this. I don't want this life. I want the life that God has for me. So we preach to ourselves. And lastly, we commit to a lifetime of change. As I mentioned, transformation is not accomplished in a 30-minute or an hour once a week or a couple times a month. Real transformation is through the work of the Spirit as we yield to Him. And it is not just an intellectual exercise where we say, no to sin and yes to Jesus. It is about worshiping Christ every day in our lives. Remembering his work, acknowledging our weakness, and resting in his completed work. And then we wake up the next day and we do it again. And we do it again the next day. And we surround ourselves with people that are encouraging us and building us up to do this all over again. And isn't that why we even gather today on Sunday morning? See, You may not know this, but we're not gathering so that we can ask the question, okay, God, what are things that I need to change in my life? What are some new habits I need to have tomorrow? That may happen, but 
The reason why we come is so that we are reminded, in part, of who Christ is, what He has done, and how we must walk in Him and, gain, and be nurtured in that and be reminded to walk in Him tomorrow, to trust in Him. And this is encouragement for us. It is hope for us. And I actually want to go directly into the Lord's Supper. For more audio and information, please visit holycrosstucson.com.